But I'm coming up to a part of my life where for the last three months I've been reminded of how old I am. Part A, part B, get this deal, that deal. So I rely on my insurance-savvy wife to say, what is this about? What am I supposed to do with this? But thank you. It's good to see Larry and Juanita here. And uh, it's good to see you, Linda. Bless you. And uh, if I'm missing you, it's because the, the airline lights are on me. But uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. Appreciate what Sloan shared about what the 40 days. This is day number 7 since we started on Monday last Monday. And appreciate what he shared and I think it's impacted a lot of people. Every day we're called to fast, and it's like I told Brother Larry this morning, I said, we knew it was coming, <laughs> that it would throw out this idea of a meal, and today is, you fast a meal. So, uh, I don't know which meal you're going to fast, but that's the call to fast today. We have 33 days left in this, and you can get this on Kindle, or you can buy the book at Amazon. Maybe you can get it through the uh, local bookstore here, but uh, we're going to finish up on Good Friday, which is the day of Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus spoke often about his death, and what we're about to read in Luke 24 is wrapped up into this theme. The disciples, every time Jesus seemed to talk about his death, they really didn't think it was literal. They thought, well, wonder what he meant by that. Because in their minds, he couldn't be talking about literal death because he's Messiah. He, he, it must be symbolic. It must be an uh, allegorical type thing that he's throwing out there for us. We've got to think of what's the meaning. In fact, you think about how much their predisposition was on this, that Peter, James, and John is up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. They see him change into this brilliant, this blinding light. And there's Moses and Elijah talking to him, and they're talking to Jesus about his death. They came on special assignment to discuss with Jesus his impending death, and the Lord told them, says, don't talk about this to the other nine when, you, when we come down off this mountain. But as they're coming down off the mountain, the three of them are discussing, wonder what that meant. <laughs> you know, wonder what they were talking about like death. They still didn't get it. And then you come to the Last Supper, and, uh, you know, the, our, our capacity to understand certain things in Scripture is because of the culture that we live in. We don't really think on terms and, and in and language and words that, that they were accustomed to. But Jesus is taking the Passover and he's making it about his death. This is my body broken for you. This is a cup that this wine in this cup that we're about to share is, is about my blood being shed for you as a new covenant. Well, see, we don't, we don't think of covenant the way that word meant to them because... The verb to make a covenant was actually the verb to cut because covenants back then were made through the sacrifice of an animal. 
Like in Genesis 15, when God made a covenant with Abraham, and he told Abraham to cut an animal in two and lay its halves apart from each other, and that they would agree between the, the sacrifice of the animal and the covenant. So death was all in that. And yet they could not squeeze into their minds what it was about. And then, you know, they have, Jesus tells them, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. This is at the Last Supper. He tells all of them, says, all of you are going to desert me tonight. And, and they're like, no, no, we, we wouldn't do that to you. We, and he was telling them, you don't really know what's in your own heart. You don't know how you're going to react to what's going to happen. Tonight is going to be a terrible night for you. It's going to be traumatic to you. What's about to happen, you, you're not getting. And so he gets arrested that night. The next day, they see him impaled on a cross, and they watch him die. I don't know if all of them was there. We know that, that John was there. And then Jesus begins to appear to them, right? Over a 40-day period after his resurrection, he appears to them several times. And almost after every time... After seeing him, they doubt it. And don't jump on Thomas too much because the rest of them, you know, after you know, a few days between probably appearances, they started, did we really see him alive? And the last resurrection is in this chapter. I mean, the last appearance is in this chapter, chapter 24. And they doubted this time. He appears... I'm going to start reading with verse 44, but I'm summarizing what's coming up to verse 44. He appears to them, and they think he's a ghost. They even say that. And this is, this, is after, this is like one of the last time he appears to them. So they're still doubting whether this is real or whether he's real. And, and he's telling them, touch me. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. Touch me. It's me. It's me. It, it is I myself, are the exact words he said. It, it's me. And they're still looking at him with this look of like, you know, we're, we're, we're not really sure. And he asked for, you got anything here to eat? And they said, well, we got some broiled fish. He said, well, give me some broiled fish. And he eats the broiled fish in front of them. And they're just sitting there watching him eat. Now, I don't know about you, but this really kind of throws me a curb as to what kind of body Jesus really had that he's eating. And even resurrected, he's eating healthy. <laughs> Broiled fish. And right after he, they watch him eat this food that they'd been eating, he says these words. Verse 44, this is what I told you while I was with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send what my father has promised, 
but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In the midst of this final conversation, they finally have the aha moment. You think they'd have it leading up to this. All the times they'd seen, they'd seen him, they'd touched him, they'd conversed with him, and he would disappear out of their sight. You think they'd have that aha moment. But when you read this, you find the aha moment right in this passage. If you look closely, you'll see where it's at. And how did it happen? I'll just go ahead and tell you the aha moment is verse 45, where it says, He opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. Now, here's my question. Did they not understand the Scriptures before this? They must not have understood the Scriptures about that because they kept doubting. And you know, we're, we're kind of looking on the scene, we, but we probably would have the same struggles to have him appear and disappear, and then after a few days we don't see him and by the way, the, the movie Risen is a great movie. And, uh, but it takes its liberty, so I'll just, if you go to see it, just hang in there. But it's like you put yourself in that place. You, you do, you put yourself there, and you understand why they struggled. Because they'd have him for just a little bit, and then he'd, he'd, he'd be gone. But he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. Now, how did that happen? How did he just open their minds that they could understand Scripture? Wouldn't you like him to do that for you? Just, Lord, open my mind so that I can understand the Scripture. Well, here's how it works. Look back in verse 44 again. He tells them everything must be fulfilled. He had discussed all of this with them over three-plus years, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. At what places in the law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, did Jesus take them and said, that's me right there. That's about my sacrifice. We could say, well, it's pretty easy when you get to Leviticus. In Exodus, he's the Passover, he's the he's atoning sacrifice, he's the atonement on that day of atonement. He's the one that's going to take the sins of Israel away permanently. But he could have taken them to Genesis 3.15, the pro Egangalia. The first mention of the gospel is in Genesis 3.15. You remember it? He tells the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed, and that seed is going to crush your head, but you're going to bruise his heel. That's the crucifixion. That's the first mention that God had a remedy, a permanent remedy, and it's going to come through a promised Savior. You go to Isaiah 53, the prophets. He goes to the prophets, a suffering servant. All through there, it says he was numbered with the transgressors, and Jesus wasn't crucified by himself. Whether these other two guys were scheduled to die that day or not, it seems as though that it was predetermined that he would not be crucified by himself, that he would be numbered with common criminals. He would be associated with these two infidels, these two men who were career criminals, who were getting what they deserved, and he was right in the middle of that group that was numbered with transgressors. That's Isaiah 53. 
But where would he take them in Psalms to show them that these passages revealed him? I think you'd have to go to Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is the crucifixion psalm. Now, all the things that Jesus said, there's seven different things that Jesus said from the cross. We know that John the apostle was there because he told John from the cross to take care of his mother. And he told his mother that this is going to be your son now. He's going to be taking care of you. So we know that John was there. We know a lot of people were there. There were people jeering at him, mocking him, making fun of him. There were soldiers who were past the idea of cruelty. And all of those seven statements except one was in their language. The one thing he said from the cross that was not in that language is Psalm 22.1. When near the end of his crucifixion, the end of his suffering, both Matthew and Matthew 27 and Mark 15 records this, where he says in a loud voice, one, I think Mark says, Eloi, Matthew says, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabbathani, which is quoting Psalm 22:1. What would that mean to anyone there that Jesus was saving his energy to say his last statements with a full voice, a loud, penetrating voice from the cross, not whispering it, but belting out this quote of Psalm 22:1? The soldiers mistook what he said, did they not? Well, he must be calling for Elijah. Let's wait and see if Elijah is going to come and help him. But every Jewish person standing in front of that crucifixion scene knew exactly what he was saying. He was quoting a very well-known psalm that David wrote Hundreds of years before, he was quoting it. Now, we, we interpret that, that that was his confession that his father had forsaken him. In some regard, that was true. But remember, one of the last things that Jesus said was to his father, was it not? And what did he say to his father? Into your hands, personal. So he was still in touch with the Father, but he was quoting a psalm that would awaken in the minds of all of them out there, Psalm 22. He's quoting Psalm 22. David, writing prophetically, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it would put in their minds what that song was about as it went on down the next verses. And if you have Psalm 22, you ought to... This is a great... Jesus was being crucified. It was prophetic. He was taking his disciples back through. He said, I've talked to you about this. You didn't have the aha moment. You didn't get it. You didn't understand it. But just remember what I said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You look down... At verse, this is Psalm 22. All who see me, this is verse 7. All who see me 
sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag their head. That was obviously going on. They were making fun of him. They were saying, commit yourself to the Lord and let him deliver you. Let him rescue you because he delights in the Lord. They were saying stuff like that. Let God help him. You saved others, you can't save yourself. He said he would rebuild the city, the temple in three days. Well, if you can do that, come off the cross and we'll believe you're the son of God. They were mocking him. And down in verse 14, he says, I'm poured out with like water. This is David writing it hundreds of years, but look how close it is to what's happening on the cross. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A bond, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Look at how close Psalm 22 is being played out right in front of them. And Jesus is bringing the attention to that psalm. Probably didn't quote anything but that first verse, but it awakened in them. And here's a statement that should command our attention today. He opened his disciples' minds so they could understand, not just hear, but understand the scriptures. He opened their minds. It started with taking them back to the Bible, the Bible that they heard every Sabbath day. They heard the Psalms. They heard Isaiah. They heard Moses read. They were aware of that. And this is the aha moment that they finally get it. They finally get it. In verse 46 in in Luke 24, he told him, this is what is written. Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What he was saying to them is he released them from their predispositions was that Messiah cannot die. It just cannot be God's will for Jesus to die. That, we just can't accept that. Jesus had to dispel that disposition in their minds and say, it was meant for me. This was meant, this was prophesied. The ideas that sometimes God has to deliver us from are some things like this. That is the professional clergy that has been called to preach the gospel. Nobody else is called to preach the gospel. That is what limits people from understanding the scriptures today. That is not a hierarchy of anointing. It is a calling of all the people of God to be his light. Or the idea that someone else is supposed to declare forgiveness of sins. Someone else is supposed to do evangelism. I even had someone call me one time, not here. He's when I pastor another place. He says, listen, there's, 
there's someone up in the hospital I was visiting, and they, they wanted to accept the Lord, and I told them that I would call you. And they, you would come up here, and they didn't say it like this, but it like, you would come up here and save them. No, they didn't say that, but it's kind of like, they can be saved right there. I said, lead them to the Lord. They want, you know, that is the time to lead them to the Lord. But this is the ideas that we have that, that all these things are for someone else. And it's to happen somewhere else, but not here. And Jesus quells that thought right off the bat and said, this will start right here in Jerusalem with you. Terry, wait in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. I like what he said in verse 49. I am going to send you. That's what the NIV says. I am going to send you. Others write it, I am sending. But very few translate it, I send you what my Father has promised. And that is exactly the verb. It is present tense, active voice. I send right now. The promise of the Father. See, we think in terms of time, don't we? He's activating this next step for them already. He said, I send what the Father has promised you. I send him now. You just need to wait until you're clothed with power from on high. The sin, the sending was already there. Listen to me. If, If we're true followers of Jesus, we pay attention to what he says. Just like that, I think his name is Monty Williams, the assistant basketball coach who lost his wife to a car accident. How many of you heard any part of his eulogy? It is worth looking up. It, I heard just a, just a part of it. His wife was killed in this car accident, and he's given the eulogy of his own wife, and he says, I want to ask you to pray for this other family because they're also hurting. They did not... Start that day intending to hurt my wife or hurt my family. But please pray for them because they're hurting too. Because in a sign in my house, it reads, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And for us, serving the Lord means we walk in forgiveness. And we have no ill will against the family that's also been involved in this accident. If we're going to serve the Lord... Let's serve the Lord. To, to me, what he was saying is, that is just not a pretty slogan somewhere in our house. It's our obligation, it's our commitment to walk this out by faith. And if we're true followers of Jesus, we embrace this admonition. I send the promise of my Father to you, the Holy Spirit. Pentecost sealed it, didn't it? Pentecost opened it up. Go and preach and share Jesus. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone, you know, said one time, why do you, why do you Pentecostals emphasize the Holy Spirit so much? So we didn't start this emphasis. Jesus started it. It was Jesus that emphasized the Holy Spirit. In the upper room, right this last point that he's talking to them is I send the promise, the Holy Spirit, to you. Wait until you're endued with power from on high. And this was the witness in Acts 2, which is the sequel to Luke's gospel. This is like the second part. 
As he said, Theophilus, I, I wrote to you about what Jesus came and what he did and what he said. And now I'm writing to you what's happened since then. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're refilled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter shows up at Cornelius' house, a Gentile. He's not even supposed to be inside the house. <laughs> but the Lord let him know in no, no uncertain terms, it's not how you think, son. It's how I'm planning this. You get up and you go to that house and you tell them what's happened. And right in front of them, upper room was replayed. Cornelius, his family, and all those neighbors he had asked to come in to, to hear what this Peter had to say. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And you know the benefit of that was Peter got a, another aha moment. Oh my goodness. This is just not for us. This is for Gentiles. And the Lord has showed us today that what he gave us in the upper room, he's giving to these people who are hungry and thirsty for God. And when Paul arrives in and talks to the Ephesian elders in Acts 19, he asks them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? We don't know what you're talking about. And he tells them, and he lays hands on them, and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're not the ones that's emphasized Pentecost. The Bible emphasizes Pentecost. Why can't we emphasize it today? Here's what, here's what happened right there. Listen. Brandon comes to the instrument and praised him. Here's what happened. When he opened up their minds and they received the explanation of what happened to him, then they were ready to go and do what he called them to do. I would say for the most part, the church in America is basically comfortable to just keeping our own salvation intact. And yet if we're true followers of Jesus, we're going to take what he said seriously. And says, Lord, I want, you know, this last song that we did in worship. Overcome by your presence. I want to be overcome by the presence of the Lord. Here's what happens. Jesus emphasizes the Holy Spirit to them, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and they begin to emphasize Jesus. The Holy Spirit's role is to bring attention to Jesus. But Jesus' role in preparing the disciples was to tell them they need the Holy Spirit <laughs> so that they could have power to preach forgiveness of sins in the name of Messiah. And it works, they work together, right? So we need the infilling of the Holy Spirit more than ever because we're living in a culture that's intimidating in a culture that's going way off this way and God has called us to be his voices in today's culture right now in our lifetime right now in our world would you stand with me forgiveness of sins Lord thank you that you promise forgiveness of sins to those who confess you and I pray for anyone here this morning that needs to confess you as Lord, that need to come to the reality that there is no salvation apart from a trust in you, an absolute confidence in you, that you died on the cross, 
you shed your blood, you endured the agonies of our sin on our behalf to atone for our sin. And you were raised from the dead to justify us by faith. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that has not come to that place of trust and surrender, Holy Spirit, would you make Jesus real to them? And that he is waiting for them to open the door of their heart. I pray also, Lord, for myself and for those who have tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord. Enjoy this wonderful salvation. And we haven't been pulled into the drama of carrying it to the ends of the earth. Starting with Tuscaloosa. Starting it with Duncanville and Taylorville. Starting it with Northport and Colon and Vance and Cottondale and Holt. Places around that we're supposed to be the light. And we need to say, Lord, forgive us for staying within the confines of our own security. When you're calling us out, you're calling your church out today, Lord. I pray such an anointing on those who receive the admonition today, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would, would catapult them off away from their, their limitations and, and from their own excuses, Lord, to take us past that and be true witnesses of what we have experienced ourselves personally. I pray for an anointing to rest upon us, upon TFA, Lord, upon your church, upon the church in Tuscaloosa, the one body of believers, Lord. Stir our lives, Lord. Stir the people of God in this city to rise up and be part of this great Witness that's supposed to, our world is supposed to hear today. College students and high school students and those in middle schools, Lord, you have called us for such a time as this. Draw us, draw us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to a place of complete and utter surrender to your purpose. On this day, in Jesus' name, come if you want to say, Lord, drench me with your spirit. Drench me with your spirit. Awaken in me, Lord, a passion for you that I won't hesitate to do what you've called me to do. Holy Spirit.